All right, well, if you would grab your Bibles and turn them to Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. What Don just read for us, that's where we're going to be this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And as I said before, we, this, this sermon is going to be for our graduates, to our graduates, but for everyone. Now, before we get started, let me give you a little bit of a road map of where we're going. My wife makes fun of me because uh, I'm such a systematic thinker, like I think in lists and stuff, and so I love when there's a road map to the sermon. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to focus in, laser in on a biblical truth. We're going to think about it, look at it, that I think is relevant to all of our lives. And then we're going to step back and we're going to get some practical application points for our graduates as they head off. So before we begin, let's just pray one more time and let's come to the Lord. Dear Father in heaven, I ask that your word would be clear this morning. I ask that we would be ready to receive it. I ask that it would change our lives. I ask that it would cause us to worship you in a deeper way. And that our lives would be a greater reflection of your glory for each graduate here and for everyone else. We know that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word, O Lord, stands forever. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So change and transition are unique moments in each of our lives. We have eight graduates that we just celebrated, and all of them have some form of change or transition that comes uh, upon graduation. And for some, it's leaving Vero and it's heading off to somewhere new. For others, it's maybe finding a job. Uh, they're all experiencing something. And we all handle change differently. For some of us, it's really exciting. It's something we've hoped for. And for others, it can be scary or even sad in many ways. And we all go through these seasons of change. We all make decisions in our lives that affect our futures, that affect our paths forward. And one of the things that Christians often wrestle with is the question of what is the will of God? What decision does he want me to make here? If I choose this and I don't choose this, am I obeying God or disobeying God? And these are all great, great questions to ask. And yet for others... Maybe God's will isn't something you're thinking about at all. In fact, you're so excited for that next step. You're so excited for that next thing that you've kind of uh, not even really considered what God's will might be. Something that we see today many times is that students who grow up in church, they graduate and they head off to college, not really excited to find God's will for their life, but rather kind of leave God behind. There may be times when you have made a change in your life. Something great, something exciting, and yet in that process, it's easy to kind of leave God behind. And if, that, if that's you today, I pray this message makes you consider the trajectory you're on. It makes you consider your aim. This message, we're going to dive into the Bible. We're going to look at much scripture. And this isn't just, uh, uh, you know, a celebratory pat on the back and, and see you later. No, we're going to do some work this morning in the Word of God. 
we're going to look at biblical truth and how this shapes and affects our life. And when I first heard this teaching from God's word, it really changed the way I viewed the will of God. And so let's begin by looking at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. I appeal to you. He's going to make an appeal, a call, a charge. And this is what we are going to do today. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and perfect, good and acceptable and perfect. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. I've titled this message, What is the Will of God? And what I want to do this morning is not just ponder what it is, but look at the book and see how God defines what his will is. Another way that we could ask the question is, how does God define his will for us? What is his will? What do the scriptures tell us? What do the scriptures tell us? And what we actually see is that there are actually two wills of God. Sounds strange, right? When I say that, I don't mean that God is somehow divided within himself. He doesn't know what he wants to do. His one will, another will, and he's just kind of like, ah, we'll see. No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is that when we look at the will of God in the Bible, we actually see it defined in two different ways. And there are many different names that have been used over the years to describe these two wills. The two names that I want to use this morning are God's sovereign will and God's will of command. And so let's begin with God's sovereign will. God's sovereign will could simply be defined as what God has sovereignly determined to happen. What God has sovereignly determined to happen. It's what God sovereignly and eternally ordered and determined to happen in all creation from beginning to end. God's sovereign will could also be defined as all the events of history that God has ordained to come about. So let me show you this in the scriptures. And my advice, if you're taking notes or if you're, you're looking in your Bible, would be to stay in Romans chapter 12 and then just write down these references uh, because there's going to be, you'd be flipping your pages a lot and uh, probably not be able to keep up because we're going to go through a lot of these scriptures. And so uh, if you'd like to write these down, you can. The first one is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Ephesians 1 is a uh, treasure trove of, uh, of God's sovereign will. And it begins by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And so he begins by saying, my calling as an apostle is by God's sovereign plan. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. This is his sovereign will and plan that before time began, he predestined us for adoption as sons in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Again, he's referring to God's sovereign will. We see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, 39. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I submit, Father, to your sovereign plan, is what he's saying. And I'm using verses that actually say will in them, but there are many other verses that point to this principle. And so I'm going to give you a bunch more. Isaiah 46, verse 9, says this, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel or my will shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God will accomplish all his purposes. Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No one can stop the purposes of God. Oh, that is good news this morning. Daniel chapter 4 verse 25 says, The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And similarly in Proverbs 21 verse 1, it says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God is sovereign even over all the nations of the earth, the kingdoms of the earth, the presidents of the earth, Everything he is sovereign over. A couple more. Psalm 135. I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth and in the seas and all the deeps. Whatever he pleases, he does. In Psalm 139, it says, you knew, you, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Before you were even born, God knew every day you would live. He knew everything about you. And lastly, this is the last one, Revelation 4, verse 11. It says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You'll see in many of these passages that worship is tied to this explanation of God's sovereign will. That it actually, when we see the bigness of God, it causes us to worship. It causes us to say, I'm not like you, Lord. I'm limited and you are not. And oh, I submit to you, Lord. God's sovereign will teaches us that God reigns supreme over all things. There's something that happens to your heart when you consider the bigness of God. When you consider his holiness. It's almost like there's a joy that we're in the right place when we're considering how big our God is. He doesn't fit night nicely and neatly into like a little box or a little view that we might have of him where we can understand every part of him and it fits nicely. We're not following an ideology or a philosophy. We are following the one true living God, the one who is holy, holy, holy like no other. And I'm not 
ignorant to the fact that this is hard to comprehend or that it's a difficult scripture to wrestle with or that it brings up so many questions in our mind. But I'd like you to consider two things as we consider God's sovereign will. First, it's all over the Bible. I could have kept going scripture after scripture after scripture. And so we see that it is true. But the second thing that I'd like you to consider is its beauty. The beauty of this truth. This year has been a difficult one for many people. It's been a difficult one for uh, my family, for me and my wife, Andy. Um, we, uh, Andy has had several health problems that we have dealt with. And at this uh, times this year, uh, there's been a lot of pain, a lot of um, anxiety. It, we're still working on these things. But I thank God that the truth of his sovereign will was instilled in my heart before this year. That rather than blaming God for all that happens, I can trust him through it. There's a rich sweetness in knowing that through all our trials and all our suffering, God is sovereign over them. And he's good. And he's a loving father. And he is working them for his glory and for our good. I can't tell you how sweet the truth is to me of God's sovereignty that, that, that I am held in his hand through every season of life. We've been singing a song recently, just the last three weeks, called Christ is Mine Forevermore. And the, the second verse of it is really beautiful to me. Um, we'll see if I can remember it. It says, Mine are tears and times of sorrow, darkness not yet understood. Through the valley I must travel, where I see no earthly good. But mine is peace that flows from heaven and the strength in times of need. I know my pain will not be wasted. Christ completes his work in me. Oh, how sweet this truth is that your pain is not wasted. It's not meaningless. God is doing something in it, doing something with it. Oh, how sweet this truth is. I, I, and I think that often we have so many questions about it that we fail to consider what life would be like if it were not true. Uh, how much worse of news could there be that life just happens by chance, that God is powerless to act in the universe, that he's just sitting there going, oh, I wonder what happens next. Huh, let's, let me see how I can react to this. Oh, that is horrible news, and that's not a God I want to worship. I want to worship the holy, almighty, sovereign God, the one who is I am who I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. That is our God. So God's sovereign will is what he has sovereignly ordered and determined to happen from beginning to end. But what about the other will that we mentioned? And this I will refer to as God's will of command. God's will of command is, is almost defined even more simply uh, as what God commands us to do. What God commands us to do. What we should do. God's righteous requirements for men. But it's not just like his commands for us. It also reveals to us about his character. Because in those commands, he's showing us what he desires for us. 
And so it's deeper than that. But let me show you. I'm going to give you several scriptures again. You can write these down. Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And so the psalmist connects doing God's will with God's law. We see the connection here. He's defining it not as God's plans for all time, but specifically as what he commands us to do. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Later in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16-18, through 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Again, we see his will is defined with rejoicing, praying, giving thanks, sanctification, all these commands of God. Colossians 1, 9 and 10, Paul says, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So you might be like, okay, the knowledge of his will, that sounds like up here, like it could be his sovereign plan. But then the very next verse, he says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So God's will is tied to bearing fruit, living our lives in a manner worthy of the Lord. Two more I want to give you. First John chapter 2, verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That doesn't mean according to his sovereign plan. It means according to what he's revealed to us as his commandments for us. Because if it was according to his sovereign plan, that would mean, okay, if I pray about this job, this job, and this job, well, he's only going to hear me if I pray about the right job. No, that's not what he means. He says, he means pray according to my will of command. This is a lot of scripture. But I want to show you that I'm not making this up. This is coming from God's word. We're seeing God's will defined in different ways through the word. God's sovereign will and God's will of command. It's clear in the scriptures. We really only know God's sovereign will once it's happened. Once things play out. But we know God's will of command from the scriptures. We see these two wills intersect at the cross. God's will of command is do not murder. And yet, God sovereignly ordained that his son, Jesus Christ, would go to the cross to be killed upon the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. In the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see the intersection of the two wills. Consider Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. If you do not know the gospel, it is the fact that Jesus Christ came to earth, and that through his death and resurrection from the grave, he purchased the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life for you forever if you would turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ. That is the gospel. We see this intersection here. We see that with his wounds we are healed. But if we drop down to verse 10 in Isaiah 53, it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. 
he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And so we see that God endured what was against his will of command for the sake of redeeming us from our sins. He sovereignly ordained this for his great glory and for blessing to be given to the earth through Christ. And I think that this helps us understand our own suffering. You see, this is, I mean, this is a, this is a deep biblical truth, but it's really practical. I think it, understand, it helps us understand our own suffering because we can know in our suffering that God is firmly and totally against what's happening to us. It's against his will of command. When that person betrays you, when that sickness falls on you, when, when you're persecuted for your faith, God's saying, that is not what I desire for humanity. My good purpose is for love and justice and goodness, and this sin is against my good design, and yet he's in control of it. It's not out of his control. It's not like he was surprised by it. He's known that it would happen all along, and he uses it for his good purposes and for his glory. The purposes of the Lord cannot be thwarted. He is able to redeem and work and renew things out of our suffering because he's sovereign over them. He's not powerless to it. And so when we're suffering, we need only to look at the cross to see that God himself suffered on our behalf to bring us salvation. His love for us is proved sure at the cross. So what is the will of God? <laughs> Back to our first question. What is the will of God? Often when we have these times of transition in our life, it's in the context of, of making a, a big life decision that we ask this question. What is God's will? Trying to figure out where to go or what school to attend or, or what job to take, who to date, who to marry. And often we plead with God to show us his will and it feels like we don't get it. I, I can remember personally being in high school and, and it was either the youth pastor or one of the youth leaders said something to me and it stuck with me. It sounded so profound at the time. He said, when we pray, we're always talking. But prayer is a conversation with God and, and what God has to say is more important. So why aren't we listening more? Next time you pray, just, just stop speaking, just try to listen to God. He's not going to speak to you audibly, but, but just listen for what he's going to say. And that kind of sounds profound, but it was one of the most frustrating pieces of advice I ever got. I, I can remember sitting in my room in the early morning going, all right, God, let's do this. Closing my eyes, 20 minutes passes, nothing. <laughs> and then you're in the position of discerning, is this my thought, is it God's thought? It, it, but I think that this truth about God's two wills helps us here. What we see in the scriptures is that God does not often reveal his sovereign will to people. I mean, the, the instances that we see it are specific Old Testament prophecies where he said something's going to happen and then it happens. But often we don't see his sovereign will. Another name that people give these two wills is they say God's secret will or his sovereign will and his revealed will or his will of command. And so God's sovereign will is often secret. We don't see it until it's actually happening. And yet, many Christians spend so much time and energy going, God, reveal your sovereign plan to me so I can just do exactly that. <laughs> and I don't think that that's how God has chosen to operate. It's not that he couldn't do that. 
not limiting God, but when we're looking closely at his word, it seems that he's laying out a different blueprint for us. Instead, he's revealed his will of command. He teaches us how to live and honor him in any decision that we're in. And I think that this gives immense freedom in our lives. I mean, it just takes a load off me that I'm not like, if I don't step this right way or do this right thing, then I somehow weaved my way out of God's sovereign plan for my life. Does it honor God? Does it allow me to love others? Then sounds like a good decision. I, I hope that this brings freedom. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray about decisions. I'm not saying that the Lord's not going to lead you in a decision. I'm not saying that he's not going to give you peace when you've made a decision. But I am saying that he's probably not going to reveal his sovereign plan to you so you can just do that exact thing. You're to consider his revealed will of command. You're to pray, you're to be dependent, and then walk forward in faith. And so while this provides a great encouragement, I also want to provide a challenge to our graduates, but also to us all. Because if, if that's true, if, that, if that's how God uh, kind of is revealed, how he's operating in his word, then what matters most and primarily for us then is not what job we take, where we live, even who we marry. What matters primarily is the person that we are. Who we are, our identity. The, the, the things that we do that are about our character. Graduates, some of you are staying near, some of you are heading off far. And you're going to be thinking about so many things. What class do I take? What major do I want to do? Then what job do I want after that? Uh, what friends should I hang out with? What club should I be a part of? Am I involved in enough stuff or not enough stuff? And then all these things that, that maybe I couldn't do with my parents around, now there's this opportunity to do them and my parents aren't around at all. But hear this. While the experiences will abound at whatever is next, what matters most to God is not all that you do, but who you are. The kind of person you are is the thing that lasts. In fact, your disposition to God of either faith or apathy is of eternal significance. Ever since I heard this quote, I don't know who it's from. I, I've tried to look it up. Uh, I can't even remember who I heard it from. But ever since I heard it, it's been etched into my mind. It says, there are only three things in life that are eternal. God, God's word, and the souls of men and women. And the amount that we invest into those things is the amount that we invest into eternity. You're going to experience many great things, whatever is at the next step. But remember this. Invest most in what is eternal. Invest most in what truly matters. Maybe you're sitting here and you're experiencing some kind of change in your life that's not related to graduation, but it's, it's a big change. And there's so many good things ahead. There's so many great things in front of you. And yet in the midst of all that's new and exciting and great, the question I have to ask is, do you still have your gaze set on Christ? Are you investing in what is eternal? And this is the challenge I leave you graduates because it breaks my heart to see so many graduates go off and leave the faith. All 
the new crowds out the eternal. And God takes a back seat. And I urge you to hold on to the greatest treasure that there is, God himself. So as we, as we close down this message, I want to come back to Romans chapter 12. And I want to leave you with some specific applications from this scripture. We're going to start in verse 1 again. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. We have to point this out first. Paul is writing this letter to the Roman church. And Paul has written this literary masterpiece on the beauty and the intricacies and the applications of the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's astounding. And now, in light of all of that, he makes this appeal. By the mercies of God, he makes this appeal. And so, as we go through these things, do not hear them without the context of the good news of Jesus Christ. That you cannot earn God's uh, love. You cannot earn a right standing before him. In fact, we've all fallen short. We've all fallen short. And it is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we have eternal life, that we have a relationship with the Lord. And so we're going to go through some practical things here, but I don't want you to hear them as burdens. I want you to hear them as invitations into life with Christ. And so that's important to look at first. All right, back to verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. An easy word to pass over, and yet meaningful. This is a reference to brothers and sisters in Christ the family of God, the local church. And so Paul is writing this appeal, this uh, this part of the letter, he's writing the whole letter, to the church. That's significant because we are not meant to live the Christian faith alone. And so uh, if you're taking notes, uh, these are four points for the graduates. Really, they apply to us all, though, in any any, any season of change or transition. But the first takeaway is find a church. Oh, you need the community of God. You need Christians that you can live life with, that you can rejoice with, suffer with, grow with. You need it. So many students go off to college, and Sunday becomes the day of uh, sleeping in, the rest recovery for the week, and homework day um, for all the stuff they procrastinated on. Don't do that. Take the time to go to church because you need the church in your life. Be involved with the church. The body has many members and all are needed to build each other up. The church is important. Let's continue. Uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Point number two is remember your purpose, which is worship. Remember your purpose, which is worship. As all, all of us as Christians must be continually called back to the, to, to the identity that we have in Christ and the purpose we have in Christ, which is to bring glory to God, to worship him, to honor him with our lives. This doesn't mean you go into ministry. You could be an industrial engineer. But whatever you do, you do it as unto the glory of the Lord. You remember that your purpose is to worship him with your life, to honor him with your life. Never forget that purpose. 
Number two, remember your purpose, which is worship. Let's continue in verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do you stand out as a light in the world? How, how do you stand apart from the world while still being in the world? Well, you don't conform to how the world lives. But how do you do that? You renew your mind in the word of God. You don't just go away from what the world is, is doing. You go to something, to the word. Principle number three is simply spend time in God's word. Spend time in God's word. College, for me, was the first time that I started to read the word. And I was, have been so transformed by that time in, in the scriptures more than anything else. It wasn't a big conference or a big event or even a conversation or a circumstance. Those things bring change. But transformation in my life has occurred through morning after morning after morning, renewing my mind in the word of God. I was at a ministry event at my end of, the time, end of my time in college, um, and they asked all the seniors to share, uh, what's something you want to share with the underclassmen? And I said, I did many fun things in college. Uh, there were fun events, um, dancing parties and stuff, uh, jumped off rock quarries, great meals, out-of-town trips, all this fun stuff. But when I really look back at college and I think about the sweetest moments, they're the moments when I woke up and I spent time with God. Or or. I went to a coffee shop and I opened up the scripture. I opened up the Bible with a friend and we talked about God and talked about life. Those are the sweetest moments I look back on. All that other stuff is fun. It's great. But God's word is the thing that truly changes us and transforms us. And it's, 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 it's not a, a picking up the Bible one time and reading it. It's a renewing of your mind day by day. And so... Uh, Point number three is spend time in God's word. And then lastly, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the last point is to pursue God's will. And by that, I mean pursue God's will of command. What Paul's referring to here is not a discerning of God's sovereign will or every specific step you need to take in life, but it's a giving yourself over to God's word so that you know his revealed will and you can discern day by day how to best obey, how to best walk in that will. I love how he ends it. So that in our lives, we're pursuing what is good and acceptable and perfect. Pursue the will of God. And so I leave you guys with these four points. Find a church. Remember your purpose, which is worship. Spend time in God's word and pursue God's will of command. And remember, these are not burdens, but invitations into life. And life lived abundantly. And so allow me to pray for us as we close. Dear God, I thank you for this time of celebration that we're able to have today. 
I thank you that we're able to celebrate these graduates that are a part of our church family in various ways. We honor them and all that they've accomplished, Lord, but all that you've done in their life and through their life. And God, I pray that these things uh, would be invitations to them. Uh, that whatever is next, whatever their, their next step is, they would find a Christian community to be a part of. That they would remember that their purpose in life, their overarching purpose is worship. That they would uh, spend time in your word because it transforms our lives like nothing else. And, and Lord, that they would pursue your will. That they would want to walk in all that you've said and all that you've done. And so, Lord, we thank you for them. We pray for them. And we, we remind ourselves that this is all by your mercy. Oh, all by the mercies of God do we stand here. All by the mercies of God do we send out these graduates. And all by the mercies of God do we stand in Christ. One body in Christ. And so, Lord, we love you. We honor you. I pray that this truth of your sovereign will and your will of command, uh, rather than be confusing, would be sweet to us. That, that we would come, to, uh, come under the su submission in your word of what is true about you. And, and, and that we would, we would treasure it. We would treasure knowing more about you and all that you are. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word before us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, church, as we close, I want to remind you that we will have uh, uh, prayer partners and elders that will be up at the front um, at the end of our service. And so if you have anything that you'd like prayer for, you can come uh, forward to the front and somebody would be delighted to pray with you. Um, we thank you for being here. Uh, graduates, we thank you that, that you're here as well, that we get to celebrate you. And uh, I pray that you have a great day in the Lord. God bless you.